reading from Isaiah 45, <clears throat> 1 to 13. <coughs> this is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of, <coughs> to subdue the nations before him and to strip kings of their armour, to open doors before him, so that gates will not be shut. I will go before you and will level the mountains. I will break down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. <coughs> I will give you hidden treasures, riches stored in secret places, so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. For the sake of Jacob, my servant of Israel, my chosen, I summon you by name and bestow, you on, a, bestow on you a title of honour, though you do not acknowledge me. I am the Lord and there is no other. Apart from me there is no God. I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me, so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, people may know there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. You heavens above, rain down <coughs> my righteousness. Let the clouds shower it down. Let the earth open wide. Let salvation spring up. Let righteousness fl flourish with, with it. I, the Lord, have created it. Woe to those who quarrel with their maker, those who are nothing but potsherds. Among the potsherds, all the ground <coughs> does the clip on the ground. Does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? Does your work say, the potter has no hands? Woe to the one who says to a father, what have you begotten? Or to a mother, what have you brought to birth? This is what the Lord says, the Holy One of Israel and its maker, concerning things to come. Do you question me about my children or give me orders about the work of my hands? It is I who made the earth and created mankind on it. My own hands stretched out the heavens. I marshaled their starry hosts. I will raise up Cyrus in my righteousness. I will make all his ways straight. He will rebuild my city and set my exiles free, but not for a price or reward, says the Lord Almighty. Amen. I do pray for Alan, Lord, that you'll be with him today and we're just vessels, Lord, and I just pray that you'll just use him to, to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you. I remember one morning when uh, Bert Osborne was speaking. <coughs> And he described his approach to opening the Bible. <coughs> he said he felt like a little child who was, had this precious box. But it was wrapped up and it needed unwrapping. But the baby was struggling to, to, to open the box and, let, and, let the, and, and get the precious gifts out of it. And I feel like that this morning. 
this word is precious and I'm really struggling to share its uh, treasures amongst us this morning. So reach out and help us and receive what God's trying to say in this passage. It's a, a huge responsibility to stand here sharing God's word. God, our sovereign, who made everything. And to have the <coughs> responsibility of, of sharing his thoughts for us is awesome. And some days we just have yet us. This is the only place in Scripture that I can find, that I th and I think it is the only place where there is an unbeliever who is called anointed. This is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus, his right hand. Why? Why? Is he calling Cyrus anointed? I believe it's because uh, through him, the people of Israel were going to be delivered from captivity. He used unbelievers to punish his people, so why couldn't he use unbelievers to deliver his people? <coughs> And it's exactly the same today. It's exactly the same today. Nations are lifted up and defeated. And God is sovereign through it all. It's easy when we uh, read a passage in Scripture to forget exactly who that particular passage is speaking to or about. Well, this passage is to Cyrus. He's saying to Cyrus, look, I'm God. There is no other. <laughs> Do what I say, basically. Uh, I'm going to use you to rescue my people. And although Cyrus would defeat the Assyrians, he is no more than a puppet in God's hands. And in this passage, he repeatedly warns him. He says, uh, I am the Lord, and there is no other. There is no God beside me, etc., etc. From the rising of the sun to the setting of the sun. In other words, right across the whole world, nothing is done without my permission. We thought the other day about the awesomeness of God and this just highlights it again, doesn't it? Nothing happens without God's permission in this world. Everything that comes along in our life and in Cyrus's life originates in God. He is behind all that happens 
the good things and the bad. And the bad. Habakkuk asked a question of God uh, and uh, he should, have you read the book of Habakkuk? It's really interesting. It's only three little chapters. You just sit down and read it like a story. And Habakkuk says to God, and, and he was around at this time, at the same time as, as, as uh, Cyrus. And he says, how long, O God, must I call, but you do not listen? <clears throat> Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? There is strife and conflict abounds. And, and where are you? Where are you? And God says, you ain't seen nothing yet. Because next I'm going to bring the Babylonians. He was complaining about the Assyrians. He said, next I'm going to bring the Babylonians in. And they are ten times worse. <laughs> and so but, but God says it's in order to bring you back to me that's the essence of the, the whole book of Habakkuk hardships I bring them on you in order to restore you to myself and Cyrus was a one of the uh, tools or weapons or people that God used in order to restore his people. And it was necessary because the Israelites were not going to get themselves out of Babylon. I was reading some facts about this city. It had a wall, listen to this, a hundred cubits high. Now, from there to there is a cubit, right? That's 18 inches. Can you imagine it? A wall, 150 feet high. And this wall circled the city. It was 45 miles long. <laughs> 150 feet high, 45 miles long, and it was 32 feet thick. Six chariots could pass each other on, this, on the top of this wall. It was, a, it, was a, a, it was like a, a, a major road. It was the ring road. It was the M25 around Babylon. <clears throat> because God, because Cyrus was doing God's work, God says that he was going to hold his right hand that nations would be subdued before him. Kings would be terrified. Cities would surrender. Gates would open. Well, the Israelites really needed that. There were a hundred gates in this wall around Babylon. Marching would be easy. Mountains would be leveled. We've got that word again, haven't we? We've got that word again. Even gates of iron and brass would break. And then this 
word. I will give you the treasures of darkness. In verse 3, 2, sorry. No, 3. <laughs> I've been scribbling over the top of my Bible. I sometimes cannot read the verse numbers. It's verse 3. I will give you the treasures of darkness, riches stored in secret places. Why? Why? So that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel. For the sake of my servant, I summon you by name and bestow on you, Cyrus, a title of honour, anointed of God for the sake of my people Israel, for their restoration. <clears throat> we have uh, all sorts of things going on in our world today. Uh, different wars, different people threatening uh, nations, battling things out. Uh, <coughs> different people threatening the Christianity, the Islam. There's, there's a, I mean, communism came and went. Did you, did you notice that? For 70 years, communism was a dominant power in the world. And, and, uh, and, 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 it, and it, it just fizzled out. I mean, it happened to coincide with, with open doors, uh, had a, a, a a campaign they called for seven years of prayer and exactly at the end of the seven years of prayer the uh, the, the 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 iron the curtain collapsed i like to think that that was because of the prayer but i think it was actually all part of god's plan anyway and he called us to have the seven years of prayer <clears throat> the same as he's calling cyrus here years before i mean the on the on in they haven't been taken into Babylon yet by the Assyrians. Uh, so, so, so there's God's doing all this in advance, years in advance. They were captive for 70 years before Cyrus came and rescued them. We're worried today about ISIS and we're worried about all sorts of things that, that are uh, Islamophobia and all of these things that are against Christianity. But the thing, the biggest thing that, that the church is being defeated by, it's not by people that's outside of the church. It's by the lack of the holiness of the people that's in the church. It's so easy for us to say, oh, well, like Habakkuk, look, what are you going to do about these Babylonians? They're terrible people. <coughs> God says, I'm using them to make you into the people I want you to be. <laughs> and we've got to hear that message in the church today. <coughs> because we aren't the people God wants us to be. <coughs> we are lacking in holiness. 
no dictator or general or other faith does anything, anything in this world unless God ordains it. It's all about the redemption of his people. This word, I will give you treasures of darkness. Riches stored in secret places. Been thinking a lot about that. And when I look at things in scripture, I tend to uh, personalise them and make them, yes, they apply to the time. They apply to the time because uh, the, the Israelites came out of Babylon uh, with treasures. They came out with ease. They came out in comfort. Uh, and we read about that in Ezra. Uh, they came out with no, with no haste. They took their time. Cyrus said, Cyrus said when he was the king in, 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 in Babylon, he said, he said to Ezra, who was leading the people, and you can read about it in chapters 1 and 2 of the book of Ezra, he said, he said, I'll send you armies. You can have an army to go in front, an army to go behind. And Ezra said, no, thanks, we got our Lord. And they travelled this distance uh, through hostile territory, totally untouched. They didn't hurry. They took their herds with them. They just went and had a, a nice, it wasn't an easy walk, but they had a, an unmolested walk through hostile territory because they were walking in faith. What treasures can you get out of darkness? What treasures can you get out of darkness? Surely darkness doesn't produce treasures. In John chapter 3, he talks about darkness, about we like to be in the dark because of the sin in our lives. It's a place of evil. It's a place where evil hides. Darkness hints of a place of suffering, <coughs> something to be avoided. But darkness has a positive side as well. I suspect we have all known days of darkness. We've all known different things. I've personally have experienced one major period of darkness and I've talked about that before I think that uh, one of the things that darkness does for us is it keeps us humble if we I mean if we look at it on a sort of a human level rather than a spiritual level if it was light, if the sun was out day and night, we would have no idea about what's out there. And if there's one thing that keeps us humble, it's looking at the stars and the, the massiveness of creation and thinking, well, how small and insignificant am I when I see the heavens 
I need to learn my insignificance in this life. That's a treasure to come out of darkness. David said in Psalm 8, it wasn't until night came that David learnt the most about, him, about God and himself. As a gardener, I know how important God, darkness is. Uh, in, in, in the centre of London, where lights shall never go out, there's only one kind of tree will grow, and it's called a London plane tree. If you planted another tree, it wouldn't grow, because they suffer from insomnia if they don't get the rest. <laughs> a bit like me, really. <laughs> they don't thrive, they don't grow. Trees don't grow in 24 hours of light. <laughs> If I want to make chrysanthemums flower for Christmas, then I've got to adjust the light. I've got, I've got to give them darkness in the middle of the day. <laughs> so to think it's short ideas. And, and all, you know, this, this, is, this is what governs the growth of plants, is the length of the day and the importance of light on it. Dandelions. You look at a lawn that gets cut regularly. When the day length is the right amount, the dandelions flower. And sometimes the stalks are an eighth of an inch, but the flowers on them. Because the night was right, because the darkness was there. You know, I thought of that before, have you? It's because you're not a gardener. <laughs> if they were in the field, they would be standing this high. Before they flowered, but it isn't the height of the plant that makes the difference. It's the amount of darkness they've had. The darkness brings out the treasures. <coughs> but that's the that's the horticulturalists in us coming out. As I look back on my times of darkness, and particularly on the big time. Was it time of growth? Was it time of maturing? It was a time of learning, uh, forgiveness. It was a time of uh, when my faith grew. I didn't desire it, but I benefited from it. Treasures came out of that period of darkness in my life. Paul said in Psalm 119, it is good for me that I have been afflicted. It was good for me that I might learn your statutes. There was darkness one day. 
from midday till three o'clock in the afternoon. The place called Calvary. <coughs> and God's son took my sin on himself and hung there and bled and died and God turned his face away and there was darkness there was a gate opened away that day and it was a gate to heaven There's a treasure come out of that dogs. You often hear about kids in Christian families who go away from the Lord and very often it turns out for the better because otherwise they remain second class, second hand Christians if you like they've got to go away and have their period their time of darkness in order to see the Lord and come back for themselves I don't know if anybody here has relatives in that situation. But we can... Maybe we can't talk to them about Jesus because they won't have it. But we can talk to Jesus about them. Where you learn through all sorts of troubles and hardships, the times of learning. And I guess that everybody here, if they thought about it, would uh, can bring a testimony to how they've been through a really hard time and yet have come out the other side blessed, stronger for it. Stronger for it. And if you're thinking of a question to start in your groups this morning, how about starting there? Sometimes we are misunderstood. Sometimes we are misrepresented. And it can be by other believers. I've just noticed I've picked up the wrong notes. Never mind. <laughs> we'll get back to the script. I Cyrus. Cyrus. God has given him a warning. 
In this passage, yes, he said, you will defeat the Assyrians, but it's because you are my instrument. Don't let it go to your head. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I will suffer. No ever. Nobody else is my Lord. I alone do all these things. Isaiah refers us here to the potter, which is a familiar story, and I want us to revisit that this morning. Does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? Because our uh, tendency is, when we're going through hard times, our tendency is to uh, complain. Is to complain. But what Isaiah is telling us through this passage is that we have absolutely no right to complain. The clay in the potter's hand cannot say to the, say to the potter, hey, oh, I don't want to be a jug, I want to be a vase. Can it do that? And we are exactly the same in God's hands in our circumstances. We can't say to God, hey, this isn't fair. You can't treat me like this. <laughs> and we've had this word, I alone. I alone am the Lord. There is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. And, and it's repeated again as this whole section of Isaiah. I don't think that there's a chapter in the next seven or eight chapters, a, a, a verse, a, you know, a chapter where God doesn't say, I am the Lord, there is no other. I will suffer no other God. Again and again and again and again, we're told, and, and, and this is what he is having, he is bringing into Cyrus, if you like, in this, in this passage. He's saying to this heathen king, Yes, you're going to be good. Yes, you're going to succeed. Yes, you're going to defeat your enemies. Yes, you're going to conquer. But it's because I'm God and it's my plan that it's happening. And then you're going to let my people go. <laughs> Just on the side, it's an interesting thing that they're, that they, they, the, the Israelites were released and sent back and encouraged to rebuild that temple by Cyrus. But the Assyrians had also captured dozens of other tribes and they were treated exactly the same. <coughs> they all caught part of God's blessing. They were all released, all sent home, all said, rebuild your temples, worship your own gods. When they'd had all of this time in captivity, some longer than Israel, but, but, but the blessing that God brought to his people through Cyrus was universal. It wasn't just for his people. 
We don't actually read about that in the Bible, but it is in the history books, and it's a fact. Because people believe history books even when they don't believe the Bible, which is uh, odd, but there you go. <laughs> Who am I to argue with God? We read about the potter in Jeremiah, in Zechariah. Paul talks and writes about him in, in Romans. And every time this parable or this story of the potter is used, it's used to, to illustrate the sovereignty of God. I expect that the potter has been preached from this platform on dozens of occasions. But uh, it'll do us no harm to hear a bit again. There's three elements in a potter's workshop. There's the man, there's the wheel, and the clay. But the idea, the plan, is the man's. It's the man who decides what this lump of clay is going to make. The clay needs to be workable. That's the responsibility of the clay, nothing else. It needs to be workable. And the, the, the point I'm trying to uh, thank you, emphasize, emphasize <coughs> is, is that we need to be a workable lumps of clay. Because the difference, God's trying to shape our lives. But the difference between me and a lump of clay is I can say, no, thank you. I can resist it. The clay couldn't. <laughs> I can resist it. And, and, and the whole point of this passage when he's talking to Cyrus and also when he's talking to us is, is that in the end, God's going to have his way. Don't resist. <laughs> you know? Clay has absolutely no right to insist what form it takes, and neither do I. And that's the hard thing, isn't it? That's the hard part of being a Christian. Uh, in our country, in, our, in this part of the world today, Everything seems to be uh, pointing at our rights. This, this book is about God's rights. God's rights. And God's right is to do whatever he pleases with me and you. Whatever he pleases. It's, we don't have the least bit of say in it. And this is, this is what the emphasis is for this, for in, the, in this short, short passage. Uh, we just have to submit to God's hand. <clears throat> Verse 9 says, Woe to him who quarrels with his maker. 
I think that's a great verse, isn't it? Woe to him who quarrels with his maker. <clears throat> In order to be willing for God to do whatever he wants in my life, I need to know God better. Because when I say no to God, it means really, oh, well, I'm not sure that's going to be good for me. I'm not trusting you. But God, so I need to know God better. So, so I can say unconditionally to God, Lord, you're such a great Lord. You can do whatever you like with me. I totally trust my life in your hands. Unconditionally. And this is our problem, basically. We just don't know God as well as we can, as well as we should. God is love. And sometimes love has to be tough. Don't question me about methods, he says. I knew you before I even formed you. That's what he tells us to begin to Jeremiah. I've got a plan and I know what I want to do with you. Sometimes life goes very fast. Think about somebody like Joseph. He had a life of comfort. Then he was down a well. Then he was a slave. Then he had another life of comfort in Potiphar's house. Then he was in jail. <laughs> and then he became the prime minister of Egypt. His life was ups and downs and it sort of was... It, it, Life went fast because the potter also has control of the speed of the wheel for, 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 for modelling the clay. All things are meant for good. Romans we're told by Paul in Romans, all things are meant for good. And, and we normally refer to that passage when something bad happens. <laughs> but it's all in God's hands. He wants each one of us to be conformed to the shape of his son. God is not interested in what we can do for him. He's not interested. His only interest is in what he can do in us. When I look at the potter's hands, I see hands with holes in them. And sometimes we need to remind ourselves how much God loves us. He loves us that much.
Each of his hands has a hole in where a nail was driven. And the potter only actually hurts the clay, only squeezes tight when he finds lumps, when he finds resistance. It's an interesting thought, that, isn't it? There may be somebody here who thinks God's given up on me. Uh, the pot has failed sometimes when the pot has been trying to make something and it hasn't worked and he's remade it and it hasn't worked. He gets cast aside because the clay's all lumps. And then when he goes back to get some fresh clay out the field, the old lumpy clay gets chucked out. And the potter's field in those times used to be full of little heaps of uh, lumpy clay. Clay that was cast aside. There may be somebody here who feels that they've been cast aside that they've resisted God too much, that they're too lumpy. But uh, I'm reminded, I'm reminded from Matthew chapter 27 that uh, with the money that Judas returned, for the price of Jesus. They bought the potter's field. It was called a field of blood. It was paid for by the money. That bought the one who was pierced for our sins. This field was bought so the wrecks that had been cast aside could be made good again if they surrendered to him. Nobody, nobody is outside of God's love. Those of us who have turned our backs, those of us who feel they've rejected God, it's never too late because you're there and the potter's field has been purchased by the blood of Jesus so, so that we can all be redeemed by him. Perhaps I've strayed a little bit from Cyrus this morning. It's partly because I left me notes. I've got the wrong ones here. <laughs> but uh, I hope that, that, that as we've thought about this potter and his work that, that uh, it helps us to understand the absolute need for us to surrender to God's will 
in everything in our lives, which is the essence of what Isaiah was seeing to Cyrus, really. Thank you. Amen. So there you've got two questions to kick you off, really, if you need them. <laughs>